with so many podcasts out there, shows can get lost in the shuffle. That's why we implore you to check out Too Many Captains. You can find us at a moviepodcast.com. Five unique takes on Hollywood movies and culture. Find us on Twitter at It's a Film Podcast. Check our intellectual deep dives into theatrical films. Find us on Instagram at Too Many Captains Productions. Unique takes on soundtracks. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash too many captains productions. Find us at a moviepodcast.com on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. And now, here comes a new episode of Collateral Cinema. I'm Bo Maddox. I'm Ashley Chancellor. This is Collateral Cinema. With Collateral Gaming. Welcome to Collateral Cinema, the only movie podcast that matters, where we focus on good movies, bad movies, and everything else in between in the world of cinema. We're podcasting straight from somewhere in South Texas, and yes, my friends, we are a 420-friendly podcast. So whatever you have, be it dabs, blunts, bongs, joints, smoke it if you've got it. And this is our second to last episode of the season. Isn't that right, Ash? Yeah, so it is, and it's also a collaboration special with collateral gaming featuring yours truly yeah and it's been a while since we did our last collaboration and it was on a video game movie as well right yeah that was the sonic the hedgehog movie and again it was just me and you Bo. it's kind of like a a representative from from both yeah kind of sort of right yeah it's kind of interesting (laughs) and today we are doing the original gangster of video game movies. We're talking Super Mario Brothers. This movie is great. I don't care what anybody says, right? Fuck yeah. I mean, it's bad, but it's so bad it's good. It's it's kind of got that cult classic feeling. Doesn't really have much to do with Super Mario Brothers the game at all, but it's fun. Well, there's lots of references to the game throughout. I mean, th- like, for instance, the Thwomp Industries, there's Bullet Bills in there, uh, there's the Goombas. I mean, I-, I think they even explain how Mario is able to jump is what with the, uh, the jumping rocket boots or whatever they're called. Yeah, they kind of go out of their way to explain certain things. I mean, for, for instance, I mean, the whole movie, I mean, I guess the whole premise is that the Mushroom Kingdom is actually just an alternate version of Manhattan where uh, humans evolved from dinosaurs instead of from apes. And I mean, I guess that kind of explains why Yoshi's there and Bowser kind of has somewhat of a reptilian nature, but he's not even Bowser. He's he's his Japanese name, Koopa. So, (laughs) yeah, that's kind of confusing. And there's a lot about this plot that can be a little confusing at times. It's it's kind of convoluted, admittedly. And, but, and it uses uh, Princess Daisy instead of Princess Peach, who in the games ends up being Luigi's love interest, like in this movie. But 
I don't think that that was a thing until like the 64 era. So maybe this movie started it. Yeah, this movie is kind of the beginning point of that particular relationship. But as far as the movie is concerned, I mean, it's pretty straightforward in its plot. I think it's a pretty straightforward sci-fi kind of I, I think on rental reviews, they called it dino punk. Because it, it, it has that uh, Blade Runner cyberpunk quality, but, you know, dinosaurs. And the production of this movie, though, that's what interests me even more than the movie itself. In many ways, it's kind of even better than the movie. Yeah, I've, oh, I've heard some shit. Some of it from you, actually. Yeah, I've been watching a lot of YouTube videos on this in the last couple of days. I, I've pretty much kind of run myself through the ringer a little bit when it comes to Super Mario Brothers, the movie. <laughs> and as it turns out, the early production of this movie is really interesting because at first Nintendo was really reluctant to even go into making a movie for any of their properties, really. I'm surprised that they did. I mean, Nintendo is so tight with their properties usually, but there was this period in the 90s where they kind of let other people have rights, like they did the the Philips CDI deal, and we know what spun out of that. Yeah, Hotel Mario and those weird-ass Zelda games. <laughs> By the way, if you guys are interested, Collateral Gaming did do an episode on Zelda CDI. It was our, our very first 420 special. And I, you have to get high to play that shit. And, and I remember the Let's Play that we did. And oh, my God, I, I sat through <laughs> most of that with you guys. And oh, shit, that that was painful, painful to watch. Oh, my God. You were on that, but but we were having a blast with it. And we were having a blast watching Super Mario Brothers. I mean, albeit separately, but I was yeah. having a blast. Yeah, I'm sure you were. But but do you know how how much money they initially sold the rights to uh, Light Motive for? Only two million dollars. Damn. Just just two million dollars. That that's all the rights of this movie was really worth to Nintendo. I guess. I mean, they ended up dumping about $40 million into the production and made maybe half that, which I mean, cemented its status as a flop. Wow. But it was actually kind of surprising that a, a company like light motif would pick it up because they were initially kind of an indie movie production company for the most part. I mean, I, mean, I, I yeah, think that, that kind of shines through, doesn't it? I mean, in, in the production quality of this, yeah, it does have kind of a real scrappy indie quality, not unlike the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, which was an indie movie uh -huh. in its own right. Like, yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, this was a pretty new company. It was pretty big for them to get this property. And, I mean, it, this was unprecedented. I mean, nobody had really attempted a video game movie up to this point. And no, this was the the first, I mean, direct adaptation of a of a video game, right? I mean, there were there were movies about video games like Cloak and Dagger and Yeah, and War Games and The War Wizard games, and yeah. everything. And The Wizard, yeah. Yeah. But this movie, I mean, the script went through a lot of different iterations. At at one point it was more of a fantasy movie, which admittedly would have probably fit the property a little better in some ways, maybe. Well, 
but it, it would yeah, have been a little I mean, too it would have been a little too obvious though I, I mean this movie kind of occupies its own atmosphere it's its own thing and i think that they took what they could i mean back in the 90s we had what super mario world was was the most recent mario game that had come out Hold on check this out boom gotcha super mario world well <laughs> you guys can't see this as audio um, I just went and I showed I showed Bo on Skype my my Super Mario World shirt, but oh hell yeah, Super Mario World is actually one of my favorite games of all time. I, I will play that shit like any time. I have it on an emulator right now, and I've been playing that. Fuck yeah, but there wasn't much to go on, right? Not really. I mean, what is really the actual plot of the original Mario games? I mean, it's. It, it, it's so much more about the actual platforming and the action of playing the levels themselves like that. That's kind of what Mario is at its very core. You know, it's about the gameplay more than anything. Later on, they started to really add a lot of plot and storyline to the games. But up till Super Mario World or maybe even Super Mario 3, there wasn't much in the way of story other than, you know, Bowser slash Koopa kidnaps a princess and Mario has to go and save her. Well, exactly. And I think, I mean, Super Mario World did have some more story qualities to it, but I, I really feel like Super Mario 64 was where that really kicked off. I mean, that was the debut of Princess Peach's name as Princess Peach rather than Princess Toadstool, which I think was a contributing factor as to why they didn't use Peach in this movie, because she would have been Princess Toadstool and that would have been weird. And then they were like, hey, look, there's this uh, Princess Daisy from, uh, what was it, uh, Super Mario Advance. Yeah, but you know what's weird? Don't they call the king? No, Super Mario Land. That's Super Mario Land. My bad. Yeah, yeah, on, on the Game Boy. Yeah, yep. on the Game Boy. But don't they call the actual king that Koopa deposed in this movie King Toadstool? Though Lance Henriksen's character. Do they? I don't remember that, but I do remember the reference to Mushroom Kingdom. He's a fungus, and he's spread throughout, and it's his kingdom. So they. Hence Mushroom Kingdom. Yeah, I, so, I think I mean, that, that was kind of clever. Yeah, I think Dennis Hopper actually brings that up somewhere at, at one point when he's actually talking to the king as a mushroom, as a fungus or whatever. The casting search for this movie was very interesting because initially they had Dustin Hoffman involved in the making of this movie. Okay. Let me say let me say that again. They initially wanted to cast Dustin Hoffman in the role of Mario, which I don't know, that would have been really interesting because one of the original writers who made the first draft of this script, he was actually the guy who wrote Rain Man, which Dustin Hoffman is well known for Started. his role in that movie. So that would yeah. have been an interesting way for those two people's careers to kind of come full circle at that point. But that didn't happen. And then after that, they wanted to Danny DeVito in the role of Mario. Danny DeVito. That would have been badass. It would have been, kind of, it would have been obvious, right? He would have made an amazing Mario. Oh my God, Danny DeVito. I love your work. I would go so far as to say that in the upcoming animated movie, maybe Danny DeVito needs to be the voice actor for Mario. I, I don't know. Charles Martinet is is the classic uh, Mario voice. I, I yeah. kind of feel like that's necessary. But but back in you know in the nineties when Mario wasn't as well known with 
that voice and he he was kind of associated with uh like a brooklyn voice right like in the super mario brothers super show yeah yeah which had a live action segment (laughs) captain lou albano Uh, and they almost had tom hanks as mario in this movie at that point he was coming off of a couple of flops though that was the problem that nintendo and the producers initially had they got a little you know leery of him because of that i think i think Mm. it was the burbs that was one of those movies well i'm glad that bob hoskins actually got in the role because i really feel like i mean even though he hated it the whole time and and i know you know him and uh John Linguizimo were what drinking scotch on set, right? We'll talk a little more about some of the actual antics behind the scenes here in a little bit, but yeah, go on. But yeah, even, you know, despite that, um, his performance does stand out and I just, I just love it for what it is. I mean, it, it, it's a lot of fun and for whatever reason, John Linguizimo, I mean, kind of looks energetic in the role. (laughs) And it's really remarkable how well, Hoskins and Leguizamo actually kind of gel throughout this movie. They they have real uh, chemistry. They do have a, a kind of a chemistry, right? And you've got that like you know big brother little brother vibe. Or is he? Or is he father? Or is it father and son? I I think what he was trying to say was that Mario like served as his father. I don't think that was meant to be taken literally. But I, I you know I've seen people like were kind of confused by the dialogue there, but. It's a little inarticulate, maybe. Yeah, and I think that's led to some confusion. But I think what they meant was, is yes, they are big brother and little brother, which in the games, I believe they're actually twins with Mario being the older twin. So kind of interesting how they, they had Luigi be um, a much younger brother. And he's the one that, you know, has the love interest. Mario is just kind of older. And, and Luigi doesn't even have a mustache. I well, thought that was interesting. Well, a lot of that has to really do with with Bob Hoskins actually being cast as Mario. It's just because he's a much older actor and everything. That's just the natural way that that character relationship had to go. Yeah. Like I said, this movie occupies its own universe. It's its own thing. I mean, for Christ's sake, the movie opens with a a cartoon monologue on, on the dinosaurs. I, you know, the second I turned this on, I was kind of like, wait a second. I thought I was watching Super Mario Brothers. Why, why are they talking about dinosaurs? Yeah, that, <laughs> that first little bit of animation there. Oh, my God. That looks like it was straight up taken off of a, got, a goddamn 3DO or a CDI or something like that. Right? <laughs> it's pretty bad. It's funny. It's straight but, up old school 90s FMV. And it's... It's maybe slightly better than what you would have seen on like the Sega Saturn, but I don't know. It's not the best quality. Totally potato all the way. <laughs> it just it's just the weirdest way to start a movie on Super Mario Brothers. I mean, like I said, it it provides a couple explanations on some things. I mean, it's like they really went out of their way to create the game universe, but at the same time, it's so far apart. I mean, even uh, it was Miyamoto who said that I think the issue, the problem with the movie and, and Nintendo has largely been silent on it. I think like the CDI games, they just want us to forget it exists. But Miyamoto did come out and say something like the major issue with this movie is that it tries too hard to reverse engineer what the games are. But at the same time, it's just so different. Like I said before, it just occupies its own 
universe. It's its own thing. Um, what's funny is Nintendo has largely been silent on this, like with the CDI games. I think they kind of want us to forget that it exists, but Miyamoto did come out and say that he felt that the the movie failed because it was too much like the games. And at first, the first time you hear that, you're kind of like, well, no, that's not the case. It's not like the, the games at all. That's the problem. But then you kind of understand what he meant is it, it tries so hard to, to occupy the game's universe and come up with a, a realistic explanation for it while at the same time, just taking so many liberties. It It's just its own thing. And, and you appreciate it for that. I mean, I did. <laughs> well, they kind of had to, because that goes back to how, you know, very straightforward and bare bones. The initial plot of the games are, you know, right. I mean, there just wasn't a lot to work with. Super Mario world kind of started having, um, more of a story. And this movie, I think, came out right before 64, actually. But it, it um, came out right around the time that Super Mario World was coming out. Was it? Okay. I thought it was maybe it was just a couple years before 64, but I could be wrong. But yeah, no, it, it, it's a very odd place in gaming history. It's like when you look back at the Zelda CDI games or Hotel Mario um, and how much they don't resemble the games themselves. And then you remember, well, the world was just slowly sort of building there there wasn't a lot to work with so yeah, yeah you know they go off on their own tangents and and this movie is the same it it's just such an interesting part of i think you know video game and cinema history in that aspect i mean it certainly is one of a kind it was the first to do yeah. something <laughs> yeah but i mean back to the casting you have samantha mathis who was the voice of the fairy in Ferngully, and I believe that she was in American Psycho as well. And okay. you have Dennis Hopper as the immortal Koopa. And what's interesting <laughs> about uh, Dennis Hopper's role is that it's pretty much Donald Trump that they're ragging on here. Like th that's that's it kind is, of right? confirmed. Wow, that's awesome. I, I mean, I'm just trying to think of Dennis Hopper. I mean, he was he was in Rebel Without a Cause. And then now this <laughs> yeah, easy rider. Don't forget that. Or easy speed. Rider, yeah. Fucking speed, man. <laughs> it, 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 it is a really odd cast, you know, just kind of all together. And what's funny is most of all of them, I think had a lot of shit to talk afterwards. <laughs> oh yeah. We're going to get to that here in a little bit, but Dennis Hopper's performance was kind of all over the place. There'd be moments where he's just really, really hamming it up. And then there's moments where he's really serious and just kind of creepy. Like th there's even kind of, I, I swear to you, there's kind of a grabber by the pussy moment in that movie <laughs> when he first meets the meets Daisy. Yes. Oh my God. <sighs> you're, you're right. I mean, there, there's totally a, an analog to Trump there. I mean, it's, it's, it's not even like subtle if you really think about it. Yeah, but what's <laughs> also interesting is that Dennis Hopper was told that his character evolved straight up from a T-Rex. So you see some of those mannerisms in his performance. Like, for instance, how he always has his arms really, really up close to his body. I don't know if you oh, noticed that. That's interesting. No, I hadn't. Um, you know, what's funny is, is the moment when they uh, devolve him. But just barely, so he doesn't actually start. But you're, it's supposed to indicate that he's like partially devolved. But I don't know if you really see that. I mean, is he supposed to be just more erratic, or I mean, his eyes flash reptilian for a second and then that's it. 
Yeah, was, something happened to him when he went into the de-evolver. I'm not really sure what, but it may have brought out his more reptilian aspects a little bit. Now, another interesting thing about this movie is its actual look. And it's been compared to Blade Runner, which is not even, not so coincidental because the art director for Blade Runner actually designed everything in this movie, especially the set that would be built in an abandoned cement factory. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, I can kind of see that. And it's really impressive art design, and, and, and it really does kind of bring up a cyberpunk vibe, although... I will bring up just like what Rental Reviews on Cinemassacre said, it was more like dino punk. That that's an apt term to describe it. I like that dino punk. I mean, it, it definitely fits what you know the kind of setting that we're going that they were going for, um, and and it's certainly unique to say the least. But needless to say, there was no Ridley Scott on the directing this movie. Instead, you had directors Rocky Morton and Annabelle Jankel. They're kind of noteworthy for doing a movie back in the 90s called Dead or Alive. I think it had Meg Ryan and John Cusack, I want to say. I might be wrong there, but they also were responsible for a little property back in the late 80s, early 90s by the name of Max Headroom, which was this actor that was made to look like a CGI computer uh, program that was animated and everything. Okay. But it wasn't necessarily CGI. It was more of a camera and uh, practical effect, that trick, that kind of made him look uh, very digitized and computerized and everything. But um, they well, what, signed... What did you think about the effects in this movie? I mean, it was it was mostly practical. There wasn't a lot it, of... The effects C- are actually kind of... They're actually kind of stunning in this movie, especially when you look at the character model for Yoshi. That's some really impressive practical effect work right there. And the CGI, while it's kind of dated by this point, it's really not too bad looking at all, honestly. I don't think the movie relies on it very much. I mean, it's there, but it's not the the practical effects really take the stage i think yeah i mean there were actual explosions it's like the car chases were actually very well directed and very well choreographed as far as the stunt work is concerned like there's that one moment where mario and luigi is in the cop car and the cop car goes on top of the other car and they're just that dude is just driving kind of oblivious that there's a fucking car on top of him fuck yeah (laughs) it's like that was funny shit But these directors, Rocky Morton and Annabelle Jankel, they did not endear themselves well to anybody in this production at all. Like, Dennis Hopper had a, almost a two-hour-long tirade against these two because of something that they did on set that just irked him so badly. Like, I mean, they pissed him off big time. Yeah, I mean, that doesn't surprise me you can kind of tell there's an edge to the performances it kind of contributes to the charm in a way, but you I mean, you can kind of tell that nobody really wants to be there, but they're there and they're doing well, it. <laughs> well, th- this, this contention between the directors and the actors and the crew and everything was so bad that the cast and crew started showing up on set with, with t-shirts that straight up openly mocked the directors. I mean, this was a husband and wife team. 
And what was infuriating <laughs> about them is that they constantly rewrote the script on the fly, like almost daily. Well, no wonder the script is the way that it is. <laughs> I mean, maybe it actually resembled the games more originally and then just went through so many rewrites. Yeah. Uh, apparently there were so many rewrites that Hoskins and Hopper, they both completely admit that they just stopped memorizing their lines because what was the fucking point? It was going to be rewritten. You know, what, what were you going to so, fucking do? So is a lot of that improv or? No, it's not improv. It's just rewritten bullshit on the fly because i mean okay this script already went through a bunch of different iterations and was doctored up by at least two or three teams of writers at the very least and i mean the directors kind of fucked it up so bad one of these uh, writing teams just straight up walked off the the movie and said nah fuck this take our names off of this they they, they were that oh, rankled by it Wow. Yeah. I mean, I don't envy what the, you know, the cast and the crew had to go through in the making of this. It Again, it, it's just such a, it's kind of like the room. I mean, it, the making of the movie really contributes to a sense of what the movie means. That's an apt uh, analogy, I, I think. And the other interesting conflict was between the actual producers of the movie and the studio execs at the studio execs at light motif. I mean, the studio execs wanted a much happier and much lighter film than what the directors and the producers were going for. They, they, the producers, they wanted something a little darker. I mean, that's actually what they pitched to Nintendo. That makes sense. I mean, the games have a much lighter tone and, Nintendo definitely would have approved a tone that was more in line with the games. Cause I, as far as I know, Nintendo is very stringent with their properties. Like if they do give someone permission to use them, it's like you need to do it our way, but maybe they've become that way more. So as a result of this period of their history, <laughs> it's pretty much accepted consensus that that's what it is. Honestly, in, in the yeah. gaming and Nintendo fandom and and everything. I remember just using Bowser and Wreck-It Ralph. There was a lot of rules. There were a lot of rules that they had to follow just in the way that Bowser moves and expresses himself. Yeah, it, it still has to fit within the context of the character. And I would say that Dennis Hopper kind of fits within that context as well. His performance is very, like like we said, reptilian, very, you know, kind of cringely like Donald Trump. I mean... It really adds to the overall tone of the movie in so many ways. It does. And, and, and it's so odd because he doesn't resemble the character in any other way. I mean, he's just a straight up human dude. I mean, what does that have to do with Bowser? His name isn't even Bowser, which American <laughs> no, audiences no, it, were it, more familiar with. It's the Japanese name, right? That's what's that's Koopa. Yeah, Koopa, King Koopa, because, you know, he's the king of the Koopa, which is the race. Yeah, um, that's right. And in Japan, he's still just called Koopa. Yeah. I don't, but, I don't know. But how about the look of the Goombas? That's, that's kind of interesting, right? I mean, it's these... almost like they went for the opposite of what a Goomba looks like. I, what would, what was going through their minds? I mean, the design is, is awesome. Don't get me wrong. Like, I love it. It's not Goombas, but it's, it's just this, it's adorable. <laughs> well, there I is, there is also the possibility that Goombas kind of look like tiny little dicks and they didn't want to replicate <laughs> that maybe 
I mean, They're mushrooms. Get your mind out of the gutter. <laughs> hey, that's a commonly accepted phallic symbol, bro. Come on now. <laughs> that's true. That's, that's why. True. That's I've why totally mushroom. Been told hit. that my dick looks like a mushroom, actually. So. Oh my god, this motherfucker! <laughs> Somebody told me that. I was like, how do I? How am I supposed to feel about this? Is that a compliment or? I yeah. I I, I don't know, man. It's whatever. <laughs> but anyway the the actual set in the cement factory was pretty fucking impressive lots of great practical effects the the fungus looked really really interesting it looked really cool on set but they were having some serious issues with air conditioning on this set It, it was sweltering Wow, I mean, that's another thing they have in common with the the set of the room, right? Yeah, that's kind of weird, right? Right? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it just has to do with, like, I guess, you know, low budget and then directors who don't give a shit about their... Low low budget? It was $40 million. million. What are you talking low budget? Well, what I mean to say was a low budget was spent on the well-being of... Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know where that budget really went, because, I mean... (laughs) The movie just, I mean, it, it, like I said before, it kind of has a indie quality feel to it. So oh, <laughs> like, yes. I guess that the, the budget went to just the owning the rights of the character is more than anything. Practically. <laughs> so, so when I say low budget, I mean, like, I don't feel like a lot of the budget was actually spent on the production. I think <laughs> I think they kind of probably had to stretch things because the the properties were so expensive just to, to use. Yeah, I would imagine so. And, I mean, it must have been so miserable on set. I mean, the the heat must have just compounded everything else. Like, especially how angry everybody was at the directors and at the studio execs for meddling and everything. Like, and, and all the rewrites and everything. Like, I can only imagine just the aura uh, on set. I mean, fuck. <laughs> You you can you can almost kind of feel how oppressive it is just watching the movie. I mean, just just yeah. looking at all all the actors and how they look like they just have a sheen of sweat on them at, at all times. Where are we? <laughs> I got a feeling we're not in Brooklyn no more. Brothers, they're plumbers. Oh no! They're on the trail of a kidnapped princess and a mystical meteorite that gives anyone who possesses it the power to rule the universe. Get me the rock! Must rescue the princess. And make it safely back. Later, alligator. To our world. Are you alright? Before time runs out. Brothers, this ain't no game. 
Well, I mean, it, it kind of works. I mean, they, they look like they're, you know, actually participating in, in the events that are on screen. I mean, it's and, better and, than the not, movie actresses that, you know, their makeup and their hair looks perfect all the time. Yeah, <laughs> and, not, and not to mention that it contributes a little more to the real dystopian angle of Dino Hatton. I think that's what I was kind of, you know, thinking in my mind when I said that, too, is um, it, it does give you that d- dystopian feel. Yeah, it just kind of compounds it a little bit. Yeah. But because of how miserable everybody was on set, everybody kind of coped with it in their own manner. Like, for instance, there was that whole tirade that Dennis Hopper had with the directors. He he, he finally said, "Is like, look, I'm going to do the scene as it's written and everything. I just needed to fucking get all of that off of my back, you know? Just get it all out there. All that frustration and everything. But it led mm-hmm. to Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo drinking a whole hell of a lot on set. Like, in between <laughs> takes, awesome. pretty much. They were just fucking downing scotch. And there are several scenes in this movie where you could kind of tell they're, they're a little drunk. You could tell, but it, it, it contributes to the personalities of the characters as they're portrayed in the movie. I mean, this movie is, is, is an accidental gem through and through. <laughs> it really is. And it actually led to a little bit of an injury on set where Leguizamo and Hoskins were driving the Mario Brothers van. I I think that they were doing that uh, scene where they were rushing to the restaurant to do a job and Scapelli beats them to it. Apparently what Mm -hmm. happened is uh, Leguizamo kind of hit the brakes a little too hard and a a sliding van door just came down on Bob Hoskins' hand and fucked it up. And, oh, shit. And if you, if you look closely at certain scenes, you can see his cast painted pink to kind of not stand out so much, but it still kind of stands out a little. So That's funny. I mean, I hadn't noticed, but I'm sure if I was looking for it, I mean, it probably would stick out like a sore thumb. Oh, no. You, it, it even looks a little swollen as well. So Wow. I mean, but yeah, I mean, that just led to all types of malfeasance on set. But there was also a pretty infamous incident that was recounted by Leguizamo, where apparently one of the directors, Rocky Morton, he thought that the Goombas didn't really look as grungy or as dirty costume-wise as he liked. So apparently... What he did is he went and grabbed a cup of coffee that was just kind of within his reach somewhere. And apparently it was still really, really hot. And he just straight pours it on the actor in this fucking suit. And the suit is not shit. Yeah, the suit is not completely sealed off or anything. So this dude, the actor in the suit, his neck is getting burned, straight up getting scalded. Allegedly, what Leguizamo said, uh, th- this was the director, Rocky Morton. He retorted after that was, eh, he's just an extra. We can get another one. What? Holy now, shit. <laughs> now, Rocky Morton, he kind of denies that this happened. He said, or at least he denies that it happened the way Leguizamo said. So he says that it was completely an accident. He didn't say what he, he Leguizamo said he said, and he immediately tried to get some cool water to, you know, cool down the burns. So 
I mean, I don't know who's to be believed a little more in that situation, but I mean, it's very noteworthy and it just contributes to the overall craziness that was the production of this movie. Yeah, no, definitely. That's crazy. I mean, hot and coffee really does burn. I mean, you remember like the McDonald's court case? Yeah. And And people make fun of it, but that was actually more serious than previously thought that that woman suffered some very serious third degree burns. It was actually not a good thing that happened to her. She was right to sue them. But anyway, this production was so catastrophic that and, and and the directors had burned so many bridges on set with the producers and the studio that they were initially locked out of the editing room, which, from what I understand, happens quite a bit. I mean, it happens <laughs> more often than not, but this one kind of stung for them because they had made this whole stink about rewriting everything, and they, they wanted to say in the final cut, and the producers didn't want that, so they had to go to the Directors Guild and actually kind of force the producers to let them have a say in the final cut. That's fucking awesome that they were locked in the room. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's just so ridiculous, man. I mean, <laughs> I, I understand that the, these people, I mean, this was their first real movie that they were shooting. But, I mean, I, I remember Dennis Hopper saying something to the effect of their arrogance was mistaken for talent or something like that. So, I mean, they really, really, they really, really managed to make everybody hate them. So, and there I mean, were they, definitely they pissed everyone off. <laughs> yeah, there were consequences for that. And like we said earlier, this movie only made back half of its budget. It made $20 million off of a $40 million budget. And it, it was hyped up. I, I, you know, I remember hearing that like everybody was really excited. It was like the first video game movie, and then it it came out, and, and it just wasn't talked about after that. And then there's a reason for that. <laughs> it's one of those things that, that like a lot of people today aren't really aware of unless you remember it happening. And I mean, you tell a kid today like there was a Super Mario Brothers live action movie, they're gonna be like, what? There was there was a what? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, this movie is kind of hard to find. I mean, honestly, I tried looking for this movie and I couldn't find it. Really? Yeah, I I, I don't know why I couldn't find it anywhere. It's not even on most streaming sites, other than you know the illegal ones. So <laughs> make of that what you will, audience. Yeah, yeah, make of that what you will. Wink, wink, I guess. (laughs) But let's go ahead and start concluding by discussing the legacy of this movie. I mean, it left a real impact when it came to the genre of video game movies. This is the first one. I mean, mean, it set a precedent, right? I mean, all video game movies afterwards have been pretty bad. (laughs) And it sucks because this movie is really not that bad. It's just... Maybe in some way, if would have if it would have been released without the Mario name attached to it, it could have been an interesting standalone movie, not unlike say the Fifth Element. That's kind of you know the feeling that I got too. I mean, the movie in and of itself is entertaining. I, I mean, I think it achieved what it was trying to achieve. It's just it doesn't feel anything like a Mario movie, and it's just it becomes laughable in that sense. Well, I mean, there was a lot of detail put into the actual world building, you know? Oh, there's a lot of references made. 
Um, I like the little babam that has the the fucking uh, the Reebok. <laughs> yeah, the interesting and, and thing about Dennis Hopper say the word babam. <laughs> and what's interesting about that is that's that's one of the most faithful adaptations of anything from the game. Period is not even a real character. Yeah, probably next to Yoshi. Even Yo- Yoshi's kind of pretty much exactly like he would be in the game. I mean, yeah, Yoshi looks like a little dinosaur, and that's what Yoshi is. So, I mean, if you were to take the, you know, Yoshi character and put it a realistic version of it, I mean, I'm, that's what it would look like. So I'll give it that. I mean, it's exactly what it is. <laughs> hell, hell, he even had his extending tongue and everything. Yeah. And this movie has become a cult classic. It's actually been a very popular movie on the YouTube review circuit. Pretty much everybody's done a video on it, you know. Now Collateral Sin- Cinema has too. Yeah, yeah. There's gonna be Cinema Massacre. They've done it. A Nostalgia Critic. Uh, I watch both of those. The yeah, Nostalgia the, Critic the, and the Cinema Massacre reviews. And, and the, the the Gaming Historian. He he did a good one. And this actually led to the establishment of a website called the Super Mario Brothers Movie Archive. I mean, and, and this is a really cool website because it pr- it pretty much breaks down everything that is the Super Mario Brothers movie and just. It has like all the old school original uh, drafts of the script. It has info on all of the behind the scenes antics that happen, like an even deeper info than previously known. And it's definitely a really good website. And we just want to go ahead and give it a little plug because they did kind of retweet our promos of this episode. So, yeah, back That's at you guys. Out. I'm going to check that out because that, that sounds really cool. Although I, I got to know. Who, who is it that cares so much about the Super Mario Brothers movie to, to even compile that? I, I want to know who you are. <laughs> but, I mean, that's just a testament to how deep this movie actually is. I mean, just that somebody could actually make not even so much a wiki, but a fucking archive of everything related to this movie. I mean, it's yeah. it's pretty impressive, really. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I mean, I think it's fucking awesome. <laughs> Now, the directors, they were blacklisted after this. They have not made another movie. They burn bridges and burn them hard. I mean, you don't you don't piss off a legend like Dennis fucking Hopper and get away with it. Let's face no, it. No, fuck that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've never heard their names. I didn't even know their names were attached to the movie. The, the movie speaks for itself. It's just the Super Mario Brothers movie. It just is. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of that is because of how unprofessional admittedly they approached this movie i mean they were even straight up contradicting each other on set it it was ridiculous i mean it's a very good reason why a husband and wife probably shouldn't make a movie together (laughs) it just sounds like a bad idea i mean this is this is coming from someone who's who's been married yeah (laughs) (laughs) now bob hoskins and dennis hopper they did not have kind words for this movie in retrospect I mean, Bob Hoskins straight yeah. up said this is the worst thing he ever worked on unequivocally, like without even hesitating. When he was asked about it, it was like, what was the worst movie you ever made? Super Mario Brothers. It's like, what is the one role that you regret the most? It's like Super Mario Brothers. It's like, I mean, he, he hated this fucking movie. Yeah, I and mean, he said that multiple times. I remember I've seen multiple quotes of him saying that Super Mario Brothers was was the worst thing he ever did. But like with Zombo, I heard actually more recently did have something positive to say, didn't he? 
Yeah, he is actually very proud of the legacy of this movie, and he says that this was actually a very instrumental movie in furthering his own career as a comedian and an actor. I mean, I mean he later did uh, Ice Age. Later did Ice Age. He did Spawn later on, of course. He did The Pest. Yeah, he was in Spawn. I almost forgot about that. We did that just a few episodes ago. Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny. Leguizamo finally kind of comes back around on this show again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but yeah, he, he's actually very accepting of this movie, a lot more than his co-stars. And, and Dennis Hopper, he has, uh, had a little anecdote on the Conan O'Brien show back in the day where he, he said that his son asked him, is like, hey, dad, I know that you're a really great actor, but why did you play that terrible Koopa character in that Super Mario Brothers movie? And <laughs> Hopper said, is like, so I could afford to buy you some shoes. And his son, he was six years old at the time, was like, Dad, I didn't need shoes that bad. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing hardcore there, but I mean that pretty much says it all. Yeah, no, it really does. It, it's it's such a odd thing. I mean, it 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 really is. And I think at the time, I mean, I don't know if anyone could have loved this movie when it came out, but you know, it's one of those things that you watch now. And it, I mean, obviously, there's some shady shit that happened on set, but we're we're kind of glad that the the cast and crew suffered through what they did because I mean, it, it produced this. Yeah. I'm, I, one thing I didn't really find out was what Samantha Mathis have to say about this. I mean, I didn't. Re- I, I guess she's been kind of silent about it. Maybe she's trying to forget about it. Just as I much think, as I everybody think, yeah. else. I think she just wants to pretend it doesn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> But you know, there's an interesting connection to Disney here. This was released uh, on the Hollywood Pictures uh, imprint, and that was owned by Disney at the time. Oh, okay. And what's interesting is that one of the uh, first uh, assistant directors was uh, Louis D'Esposito, who is one of the co-presidents of Marvel Studios right now. I was about to say, his name is on every Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. I mean, go look in the credits of any MCU movie. You will see Luis Desposito on there. And it's it's interesting that he started on something like this, which has that really fantastical yet dark kind of comic book edge to it, even though it's based off of a video game. Oh, my God. Dakota would be so excited about that because he was the one that pointed out that to me first. And he was actually the one that suggested this movie. So, yeah, shout out I to Dakota. Wonder, we miss I, you. Yeah, I wonder where he's at, Dakota. If you're listening, <laughs> fucking shit. <laughs> oh, wow. Hopefully we'll get it. We'll get them for our uh, season finale. Yeah. Ho- hopefully, man. Hopefully. But yeah, this is an unprecedented film. This set the bar for a genre that, you know, a lot of people say that there's a curse on video game movies, but if you really, really look at the box office returns for a lot of the more recent video game movies, that curse has been shaken off a long time ago, right? Yeah. I mean, and, and very recently, we're actually kind of seeing video game movies that are actually kind of good for the first time. And we're exploring TV shows, high budget TV shows like The Witcher. So, I mean, there was a curse for quite a while, though. And it's it's odd that this movie could make an example of that and be so poorly received. And we still got really bad video game movies afterward. But <laughs> oh, like, yeah, like we said, it, it set a precedent. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, even Uwe Boll made his career kind of off of video game movies initially, you know, Blood Rain, yeah. Postal, House of the Dead. 
this is actually like the third video game movie we've done on this podcast, right? Yeah, I suppose so. We did, yeah, we did House of the Dead, we did Sonic, and now we're doing uh, Super Mario Brothers. And we've got some things planned for next season on both podcasts. Yeah, we'll, we'll announce that here in a second. But I guess we can go ahead and start getting into some more final thoughts here. What are your overall final thoughts on this movie, Ash? Huh. Well, as the penultimate season three collateral cinema episode, I'm actually kind of glad that we visited this close to the end of the season. I was actually looking forward to it. I'd never seen the Super Mario Brothers movie before. I'd heard of it. I knew it was considered bad. Um, I didn't have high expectations, but it honestly surpassed my expectations. <laughs> I, I, I honestly say that as a standalone movie not connected to Mario, it could actually be something kind of good. Like you said, more of a, a fifth element vibe as a Mario movie. It, it It's pretty bad, but it's also just an underrated gem, I think. Um, and I think a lot of people are starting to you know see that in, in you know, the age of the Internet. And, you know, with with websites like the Super Mario Brothers Archive, I mean, that that's it's a good time to look back at, at, at things like this, especially, you know, with everything that's going on right now in the world, just to, to sit back and, and enjoy not dying. Um, enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was my, my friend in the background. <laughs> But yeah, it it was a it was actually kind of fun to sit back and watch this. I was, you know, was home alone on a Saturday and I just kind of put, put it on and I was having a blast with it and I had a blast talking about it. Yeah, it's an excellent late night movie for me, honestly. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. You know, just one of those movies like you're hanging out with the homies. You just need something that's, you know... It's really, really throwing in the background, throwing in the background, or even if you want to really get into it, you can get into it and have a good time. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean I, definitely a good movie to get blazed to. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I, I guess these are my final thoughts on the movie. I think that the world building is actually far better than people make it out to be. I mean, it actually even references the game a little deeper than people realize. I mean, I think even the shy guys kind of make a an appearance if if you really, really look for them. And I mean, I, I like the practical effects, especially on the Goombas and also on Yoshi. I think that the, some of the CGI is actually not bad for its time. It, it It's not utilized too incredibly much in this movie, but... I mean, it, it looks good for its time, except for maybe the FMV opening. I mean, I don't know what the fuck that was. <laughs> like I said, that that straight up looks like a Philips CDI quality FMV video. It, it It's terrible, but and, and something that I forgot to mention is that that narrator, that's uh, Dan Castellaneta. That is Homer Simpson himself. Oh, shit. Yeah. Can you believe that? I wouldn't have known it if you hadn't said it, but I... You know, it makes sense. <laughs> if you listen very, very closely, you can immediately tell that that's Castellaneta. I mean, every voice actor kind of has a little tell in their voice where you can kind of know who it is. You know, like your Tress McNeils, Maurice LaMarche, Billy West and everything. But I mean, you can pretty much tell that immediately. And also Frank Welker is uh, the voice of the Goombas in this movie. And I think also of Yoshi. Yeah. I mean, he's pretty much a stalwart when it comes to voice acting, especially for animals that don't really have, you know, vocalizations that are, you know, English or anything like that. 
But anyway, we'll go ahead and wrap this up. Since this is a Collateral Gaming, Collateral Cinema collaboration, we'll go ahead and let you do your plug first, Ash. What's coming up on Collateral Gaming? That's right, bitches. Uh, we are going to be doing, actually, we at the same time, because we actually recorded this pretty much in the same day. So these will be recording or releasing around the same time, which is not our normal schedule. But look forward to Spyro Reignited Trilogy. Um, if you're listening to this, then you should also be able to look for that. You can find Collateral Gaming wherever you find Collateral Cinema. Next, we'll be doing our penultimate episode, and it's going to be a, a a bad video game. We're going to be talking about Action 52, followed by our season finale on Assassin's Creed Black Flag. And we will be doing some more collaborations with Collateral Cinema. We are going to be talking about another video game movie. And I think we're going to be talking about both adaptations. Um, we're still kind of in the works with that. And also we're going to be doing a collaboration on the game side as well this time where we'll talk about the movie and then the video game and then another movie off of it, hopefully. So we'll see what happens. But uh, yeah, stay tuned. I plan to get caught up with a lot of our other content, like our Let's Plays. Um, we plan to get our streaming set up. And like Collateral Cinema, at the moment, we are practicing social distancing. I mean, I guess you guys noticed this episode. We uh, Skyped it in. So it's not as good audio quality, but it is what it is. We're being safe. So yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Cases are on the rise in Texas. <laughs> yeah, no shit. But for Collateral Cinema, we are going to be going into our season finale. And that's going to be Best Friends, starring Greg Sestero and Tommy Wiseau. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, I mean, th this is pretty much going to round out the official uh, Wiseau trilogy with the disaster artist in the room involving collateral cinema. So it it's almost like, as far as the movies are concerned, it's almost the end of an era, kind of. Yeah, I mean, what, what, what else can we talk about the room related? The room porn parody? <laughs> we could, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we got to do something with so related. Or, or, or the neighbors, uh, his uh, sitcom. We could do the neighbors. I mean, it, it's a TV show, but I, I feel like we could, we could do a TV show once in a while. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. But yeah. At, at least until we spin out the TV podcast. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, look for our episode on Best Friends. That's going to be our season finale. Season four will be coming later on this year, around October. We'll probably start collateral off with gaming. our Halloween episode. Yeah, and, and Collateral Gaming Season 3 will be starting around the same time. Or I think we may be starting a month earlier Yeah, in September. But. Oh, oh, yeah, and also we are going to have Captain Nostalgia from Victims and Villains on the season finale, so look for that. We, we, we liked having him on the Christmas episode, and... It's going to be nice to have him on the Best Friends episode. Yeah, uh, I recently, um, we recently did a collab with uh, Captain Nostalgia as well on the on the Victims and Villains podcast. I think that should be coming out this month. We talked about Majora's Mask. Excellent. And it was a lot of fun. Awesome. And also down the line, we should be making an appearance on the Movie Journey podcast's Pod versus Pod series, which is kind of a a movie trivia thing so look for that coming very soon and on collateral cinema director's cut which should be coming this next monday i believe robin and i might be talking about the trailer park boys movies which is really really awesome it's a great series and the movies are fantastic so look for that and 
I guess we can go ahead and start wrapping things up. You can find Collateral Cinema on all the social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Find us on Patreon. Become a patron. Starts at $1. You'll get film commentaries and the like. Uh, look for us on YouTube, Chill Lover Radio, Apple Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Same with Collateral Gaming, right? Same goes for Collateral Gaming. Everywhere you listen to Collateral Cinema, we're there too. Um, we're trying to, to keep up as well. We've got the uh, Collateral Gaming bonus round episode. This is our analog to Collateral Cinema Director's Cut. I want to get... I know I'm behind on those, but I'm running a tally, and I'm planning to just yeah. maybe pop them all out at once and, and have them out there. So we'll see what happens. Our next episode should be a video game recommendations episode. Awesome. So... All right, everybody, we're going to go ahead and get out of here. I'm Bo Maddox. I'm Ashley Chancellor. And this was Collateral Cinema. Stay tuned for our season finale. Check you later, everybody. And this was Collateral Gaming. See you later. Cinema is an L Company production. All music and movie clips are owned by the respective creators and are used for educational purposes only. Please don't sue us. We're poor.